O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there will be a famine in the land, not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8. 11 and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph, there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is 20 minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna, to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and from the King James for the Brit Hadashah. Today we begin a new Torah portion, Matot, and it means tribes. Numbers 30, 2-16 Moses spoke to the heads of the Israelite tribes, saying, This is what Hashem has commanded. If a man makes a vow to Hashem or takes on oath, imposing an obligation on himself, he shall not break his pledge. He must carry out all that has crossed his lips. If a woman makes a vow to Hashem or assumes an obligation while still in her father's household by reason of her youth, and her father learns of her vow or her self-imposed obligation and offers no objection, all her vows shall stand and every self-imposed obligation shall stand. But if her father restrains her on the day he finds out, none of her vows or self-imposed obligation shall stand, and Hashem will forgive her since her father restrained her. If she should marry while her vow or the commitment to which she bound herself is still in force, and her husband learns of it and offers no objection on the day he finds out, her vows shall stand and her self-imposed obligations shall stand. 
But if her husband restrains her on the day that he learns of it, he thereby annuls her vow, which was in force, or the commitment to which she bound herself, and Hashem will forgive it. The vow of a widow or a divorced woman, however, whatever she has imposed on herself, shall be binding upon her. So too, if, while in her husband's household, she makes a vow or imposes an obligation on herself by oath, and her husband learns of it, yet offers no objection, thus failing to restrain her, all her vows shall stand, and all her self-imposed obligations shall stand. But if her husband does annul them on the day he finds out, then nothing that has crossed her lips shall stand, whether vows or self-imposed obligations. Her husband has annulled them, and Hashem will forgive her. Every vow and every sworn obligation of self-denial may be upheld by her husband or annulled by her husband. If her husband offers no objection from that day to the next, he has upheld all the vows or obligations she has assumed. He has upheld them by offering no objection on the day he found out. But if he annuls them after the day he finds out, he shall bear her guilt. Second Kings twenty three thirty one to twenty five thirty. Jehoahaz was twenty three years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did what was displeasing to Hashem, just as his fathers had done. Pharaoh Necho imprisoned him in Riblah, in the region of Hamath, to keep him from reigning in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land an indemnity of one hundred kikarim of silver and a kikar of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho appointed Eliakim son of Josiah king in place of his father Joshiahu, changing his name to Jehoiakim. He took Jehoachaz and brought him to Egypt, where he died. Jehoiakim gave Pharaoh the silver and the gold, and he made an assessment on the land to pay the money demanded by Pharaoh. He exacted from the people of the land the silver and gold to be paid Pharaoh Necho, according to each man's assessment. Jehoiakim was twenty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zabuda, daughter of Padiah of Rumah. He did what was pleasing to Hashem, just as his ancestors had done. In his days, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. Hashem let loose against him the raiding bands of the Chaldeans, Arameans, Moabites, and Ammonites. He let them loose against Jehudah to destroy it, in accordance with the word that Hashem had spoken through his servants, the Nevi'im. All this befell Yehudah at the command of Hashem, who banished them from his presence because of all the sins that Manasseh had committed, and also because of the blood of the innocent that he shed. For he filled Jerusalem with the blood of the innocent, and Hashem would not forgive. 
The other events of Jehoiakim's reign and all of his actions are recorded in the annals of the kings of Yehudah. Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and his son Jehoiakim succeeded him as king. The king of Egypt did not venture out of his country again, for the king of Babylon had seized all the land that had belonged to the king of Egypt, from the wadi of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Jehoiakim was eighteen years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Neshuta, daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. He did what was displeasing to Hashem, just as his father had done. At that time the troops of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched against Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against the city while his troops were besieging it. Thereupon King Jehoiakim of Yehudah, along with his mother and his courtiers, commanders, and officers, surrendered to the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. He carried off from Jerusalem all the treasures of the house of Hashem and the treasures of the royal palace. He stripped off all the golden decorations in the temple of Hashem, which King Solomon of Israel had made, as Hashem had warned. He exiled all of Jerusalem, all the commanders and all the warriors, ten thousand exiles, as well as all the craftsmen and smiths. Only the poorest people in the land were left. He deported Jehoiakim to Babylon, and the king's wives and officers and the notables of the land were brought as exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the able men, to the number of seven thousand, all of them warriors trained for battle, and a thousand craftsmen and smiths were brought to Babylon as exiles by the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon appointed Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, changing his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was twenty-one years old when he became king, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did what was displeasing to Hashem, just as Jehoiakim had done. Indeed, Jerusalem and Yehudah were a cause of anger for Hashem, so that he cast them out of his presence. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And in the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar moved against Jerusalem with his whole army. He besieged it, and they built towers against it all around. The city continued in a state of siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become acute in the city. There was no food left for the common people. Then the wall of the city was breached. All the soldiers left the city by night through the gate between the double walls, which is near the king's garden. The Chaldeans were all around the city, and the king set out for the Arabah. But the Chaldean troops pursued the king, and they overtook him in the steps of Jericho, as his entire force left him and scattered. 
they captured the king and brought him before the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they put him on trial. They slaughtered Zedekiah's sons before his eyes. Then Zedekiah's eyes were put out. He was chained in bronze fetters, and he was brought to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, an officer of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of Hashem, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down the house of every notable person. The entire Chaldean force that was with the chief of the guard tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. The remnant of the people that was left in the city, the defectors who had gone over to the king of Babylon, and the remnant of the population were taken into exile by Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards. But some of the poorest in the land were left by the chief of the guards to be vine dressers and field hands. The Chaldeans broke up the bronze columns of the house of Hashem, the stands, and the bronze tank that was in the house of Hashem, and they carried the bronze away to Babylon. They also took all the pails, scrapers, snuffers, ladles, and all the other bronze vessels used in the service. The chief of the guards took whatever was of gold and whatsoever was of silver, fire pans and sprinkling bowls. The two columns, the one tank, and the stands that Solomon provided for the house of Hashem, all these objects contained bronze beyond weighing. The one column was eighteen amot high. It had a bronze capital above it. The height of the capital was three amot, and there was a meshwork decorated with pomegranates about the capital, all made of bronze. And the like was true of the other column with its meshwork. The chief of the guards also took Sariah, the chief Kohen, Zephaniah, the deputy Kohen, and the three guardians of the threshold. And from the city he took a eunuch, who was in command of the soldiers, five royal privy councillors who were present in the city, the scribe of the army commander who was in charge of mustering the people of the land, and sixty of the common people who were inside the city. Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. The king of Babylon had them struck down and put to death at Riblah in the region of Hamath. Thus Yehuda was exiled from its land. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon put Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, in charge of the people whom he left in the land of Yehuda. When the officers of the troops and their men heard that the king of Babylon had put Gedaliah in charge, they came to Gedaliah at Mitzpah with Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, Yochanan, son of Korea, and Sariah, son of Tanhumath, the Nedophatite, and Jazaniah, son of the Machite, together with their men. Gedaliah reassured them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Stay in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well with you. In the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, son of Elishama, who was of royal descent, came with ten men, and they struck down Gedaliah, and he died. They also killed the Judeans and the Chaldeans who were present with him at Mitzpah. And all the people, young and old, 
and the officers of the troops set out and went to Egypt because they were afraid of the Chaldeans. In the thirty-seventh year of the exile of King Jehoiakim of Yehuda, on the twenty-seventh day of the twelfth month, King Evil Merodach of Babylon, in the year he became king, took note of King Jehoiakim of Yehuda and released him from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a throne above those of other kings who were with him in Babylon. His prison garments were removed, and Jehoiakim received regular rations by his favor for the rest of his life. A regular allotment of food was given him at the instance of the king, an allotment for each day, all the days of his life. Acts 22, 17 to 23, 10. After I, Paul, returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Yeshua saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But, Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you, and I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow! He isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him, lashed, with whips, to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, What are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, But I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. The next day the commander ordered the leading priest into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare to insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied, for the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees, and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, 
the Pharisees, against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, or angels, or spirits. But the Pharisees believe in all of these. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. Psalm 2, 1-12 Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against Yahweh and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims Yahweh's decree. Yahweh said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal Son, or He will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For His anger flares up in an instant, but what joy for all who take refuge in Him. Proverbs 18.13 Spouting up before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from 2 Kings 23-25, through 25, and we're going to zoom in on what happened to Jerusalem and to the temple. And we, we see in these chapters that Nebuchadnezzar raises up an army to come against Jerusalem and to destroy it. And in verse 3 of chapter 25, it is written, By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so acute in the city, there was no food left for the common people. Verse 4, Then the wall of the city was breached. All the soldiers left the city by night through the gate, between the double walls, which is near the king's garden. The Chaldeans were all around the city, and the king set out for Arabah. So, basically what happened was Nebuchadnezzar's army breached through the outer wall of the city, and then through the inner wall of the city. And then it goes on to say in verse 9, once they were inside, He burned the house of Hashem, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down the house of every notable person. And what happens next? Verse 11 the remnant of the people that was left in the city, the defectors who had gone over to the king of Babylon, and the remnant of the population were taken into exile 
by Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards. So the temple is burned, the homes are burned, the king's house is burned, and the people are taken away into exile to Babylon. Now, this did not happen on any random day, but it happened on a very significant day in Jewish history. It happened on the 9th of Av. The 9th of Av is a very significant day in Jewish history. On the 9th of Av, it was on this day that the ten spies returned and gave a negative report to the children of Israel. And because of that negative report, that generation wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. On the 9th of Av in 585 BC, the first temple was razed and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. On the 9th of Av in 70 AD, the second temple was also razed and destroyed by the Roman army and the general Titus. On the 9th of Av in 1290 AD, the Jews were expelled from England. On the 9th of Av in 1492, the Jews were expelled from Spain. On the 9th of Av in 1941, Himmler received approval from the Nazi party for the final solution of the Jews. And on the 9th of Av in 1942, the Treblinka extermination camp became operational, where 900 Jews, 900,000 Jews were murdered. So it is a very sad day in Jewish history. And how the Jews commemorate this day is they read the Book of Lamentations, which is a book of mourning, and they mourn the destruction and the loss of the temple. But also, it's a day when many atrocities and horrible things have been perpetrated against the Jewish people, even by our own Christian church forefathers. This year, the 9th of Av falls on July the 17th at sundown into July the 18th. And I invite you to participate in the nation's 9th of Av 24-hour event, a prayer event. And if you want to find out more, you can go to the website, the number 9-av.com. And when you go to that website, click on prayer event, and you will find out more about how you can sign up to participate in this prayer event. A key scripture that fits along with what they're doing and why they're doing it comes from Zechariah chapter 8, 18 to 23, where it is written, Then the word of Yahweh Savayot came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Savayot, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now, the ninth of Av is the fast of the fifth month. And how is it that this fast, a day of mourning and sorrow and terrible grief, going to become a day of joy and gladness? And it's a day of joy and gladness for the house of Judah, for the Jewish people. I believe, brethren, that it is when uh, the non-Jewish people, the Christians, the Hebrew Roots people, when we begin to embrace this day 
and take it upon ourselves to repent over the sins that have been committed against the Jewish people in the name of Christ. It goes on to say in Zechariah chapter 8, Peoples shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord, and seek Yahweh Savayot. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts, where? In Jerusalem, and to pray before the Lord. Thus says Yahweh Savayot, the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So why should we repent over the sins of our church forefathers? It is written in Leviticus chapter 26, 40 to 42. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness, in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham I will remember. I will remember the land. And so this is actually a strategy that's given to us from the scriptures, that if we confess our sins and the sins of our fathers, that can be our church fathers. It was our church forefathers that were involved in the Nicaea Council that cut us off from our Jewish Hebrew roots. It was many church forefathers that were involved in the Inquisition and in the Crusades and in the Holocaust. You can learn more about our bloody church history and the sins that have been committed by our church forefathers when you visit the Ninth of Av website 9-av.com. If you go to the store that's on that website, there are two great resources that you can get a hold of. One is called The List, Christian Persecution Against Jews Throughout History. and 40 Days of Repentance, a companion guide to the list, a 40-day devotional for taking a look at our history and praying prayers of repentance. This will help to prepare your heart. I strongly encourage you to participate on July 17th and 18th with this prayer event sponsored by the nation's Ninth of Av. Once again, go to the website, the number 9 dash av.com and click on prayer event to sign up for this prayer event. Have a blessed day and we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, Adonai, Anavilaka, 
Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.